You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Thousands of distracted driving tickets have been handed out this month as an enforcement blitz is underway. But a recent Supreme Court ruling could see some of those tickets thrown out. That's because, according to a B.C. judge, just having your cell phone visible in your car no longer counts as distracted driving. Sarah McDonald has more on the ruling and the potential impact. If you drive in this province, your road habits have likely been influenced by the rules around distracted driving and those costly penalties that can come from it. I just paid mine and went on with my life. I know my brother actually just got one for having a cell phone. I, th I think it was actually fairly severe. Tens of thousands of tickets are issued every year to BC drivers, busted using electronic devices behind the wheel. But a groundbreaking recent ruling by a Supreme Court judge could open the door for a flood of appeals. There's always the discussion about use and whether or not you're using it. The case in question all revolves around a phone wedged in a passenger seat cushion. The driver charged with using an electronic device because it was technically within reach. But he appealed and a judge agreed that simply having the device in sight is not enough to secure a conviction. I don't think you should get in trouble for having it out. The ruling could set a precedent as the province prepares to increase its already stiff fines for the infraction by 20%, calling into question just what constitutes the use of a device in legislation that's already subjective. Well, there's always lack of clarity in the law and there will always be circumstances that are somewhere in between and, and the courts have to grapple with it. But that won't stop officers still on the lookout and issuing tickets for unsecured electronic devices and vehicles. A habit proving tough to break for the more than 200,000 British Columbians ticketed since 2013. More than 1,100 in Vancouver this month alone. We are aware of the ruling uh, and it sets some very clear uh, guidelines uh, and interpretation of the Motor Vehicle Act. Authorities still not slowing down on their quest to quash a dangerous trend. But I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't leave my phone loose on my seat or loose on my console at any time. Though now at least some of those charges and convictions could hit a roadblock. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Global BC has obtained a new report that's adding fuel to the frustrations of BC drivers when it comes to the high cost of insurance in this province. The report breaks down how much the same driver in the same car would pay just on the other side of the Rockies. Richard Zussman has a look at those numbers and why ICBC warns the grass isn't necessarily greener. The water, the weather, the whales. All things British Columbians brag about to our neighbours on the other side of the Rockies. But one thing Albertans have the edge on, car insurance rates. Unfortunately for those of us west of the Rockies, we are paying hundreds of dollars more annually under ICBC's monopoly. A new independent report obtained by Global News compares insurance rates for the same driver in the same car between Alberta and BC. For example, meet Bill. The small business owner drives a Ford truck for work. He would pay $2,058 a year in Surrey, compared to $1,399 in Calgary, a $659 difference. And then there's Ken, Laura, and their 16-year-old son James. They drive a 2012 Honda Accord in Kelowna. They would pay $1,688 in BC to insure their car, compared to $1,125 in Red Deer, a $563 difference. This report gave us the first apples-to-apples -apples comparison of what the same driver is paying to insure the same vehicle in BC and Alberta. Alberta and BC have very similar systems. The big difference is Alberta has competition. 
But ICBC warns that Alberta has had insurance problems of its own. They have a rate cap in that province that essentially is making private carriers, uh, you know, it's a money-losing proposition. They can't charge the rates they need to cover their costs. Rate changes are coming to ICBC in September. Good drivers will pay less. Bad drivers will pay more to sit behind the wheel, potentially a lot more. 25% of drivers are actually going to see lower rates under these changes that are coming forward. And some drivers are going to see significant increases because they've been causing at-fault accidents. The BC Liberals were in charge when ICBC rates started to boom. But leader Andrew Wilkinson says it's time to consider major changes at the public insurer. ICBC is a 46-year-old NDP state-run monopoly and it's time for a choice. ICBC is projected to lose more than a billion dollars this year and rates are going up. Another 6.3% increase on basic insurance on April 1st. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A tragic update to a car crash near Trail. RCMP confirming today they have now recovered the bodies of two teens from the Ponderay River in the West Kootenai. The 15-year-old boy and 18-year-old girl died when the Volkswagen Beetle they were traveling in slid off the road and tumbled down into the frigid water. Two other teens managed to get out of the vehicle and swim to safety. First-time homebuyers are set to benefit from the federal government's 2019 budget in the form of incentives to make housing more affordable. But, as we all know, the real estate market in B.C. is overheated compared to the rest of the country. John Hua has more on the eligibility rules for the new incentives and why the impact here will be questionable. It was the big housing line in the federal budget. That was supposed to hit the nail on the head with first-time homebuyers. They're not targeting the middle-income people at all. Instead, people in Metro Vancouver are calling it a major miss. You can't find anything in Vancouver, even in the Tri-Cities, Coquitlam, you know, Coquitlam. The plan is for the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation to essentially offer first-time homebuyers an interest-free loan of up to 10% of their insured mortgage. We know that far too many Canadians including in Vancouver, are being kept out of the housing market by high cost. But the incentive is capped at four times the first-time homebuyer's household income, with a maximum purchasing power of just $480,000. If I do four times my income, that's nothing. Now to see just how far this new incentive will go in some of the most expensive markets, just pop up a real estate search engine and type in Vancouver. What you get is 3,364 listings. But when you limit the maximum price to a half million dollars, the only thing bursting in this housing market are the hopes of first-time home buyers. Now left with just 129 listings. You're competing against a lot of other people that are trying to get into the market as well. So then those prices don't really go much further below 500000 The federal minister on the file says that's only half the equation. New building incentives are also expected to boost affordable supply. We understand that first-time home buyers will typically not be able to buy a million-dollar home. No, we know that they will be looking for a smaller investment. This first-time home buyer says the only thing they do know is how to be out of touch. Missing just how hard it is to cut it in this real estate market. John Hua, Global News. 
The province announced today it will be moving ahead with a plan to build temporary modular housing for the homeless in Maple Ridge on a site rejected by the city last year. Housing Minister Selena Robinson says 51 temporary supportive modular homes will be built on Burnett Street. According to BC Housing, the units will provide a place to live for 47 people who were camped out at Anita Place Tent City. BC Housing has estimated it will take approximately five months to complete the new building once construction begins in April. Global BC has learned the details of the tentative agreement between the province and BC doctors, and it could have an impact on another set of contract negotiations the province is currently embroiled in. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, what are the doctors being offered? Well, it's quite interesting. This is Doctors of BC document they sent to their members, a 10-page document detailing uh, what exactly is in the new master agreement, if it's uh, ratified. It's currently a tentative agreement with doctors. But the numbers are quite interesting here. First of all, take a look at how it breaks down. A 6% general increase in compensation. That matches the government's negotiating mandate. However, there is another 2.8% on top of that to cover other costs, plus a $7,500 payment to each doctor. Every doctor who made more than $75,000 in the, any time in the last three years. Total cost, $331 million a year. Quite uh, big numbers. Obviously, being looked at quite interestingly by the BC Teachers Federation, which is about to begin talks in earnest for a new contract. We caught up to newly elected BCTF President Terry Mooring. She likes what she sees here because this, this gives the, the BCTF, I think, an interesting argument to make at the table, particularly if you're going to reward doctors with rising business costs. What about teachers who pay for a lot of school supplies and fund their classrooms out of their own pockets? Here's the new BCTF president. Teachers spend a lot of out-of-pocket money in their classrooms uh, and uh, you know that's due to uh, lack of resources as well especially for the new curriculum and so again that is all good news for us and we'll be moving forward with that knowledge and so that's very good. All right it's early days Keith but do we have any sense on how the teacher talks are going? Yeah, I've talked to representatives on both sides, including Ms. Maureen and the government negotiator. And there's actually more optimism. I detect more optimism in these talks than I have in any previous talks uh, over the last few years. Uh, and I think given what the doctors have received here, I think the TF's going to get a little more out of here than they may have seen going in. The talks begin in earnest April 1st. I don't think they're going to get much more than 2, 2, and 2. But I do think the, the road has been paved now. An opening has been made by the doctors for the teachers to get a little more when it comes to expenses they pay out of their own pockets to get a deal done before for June 30th when the contract is up. All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Right. Growing concerns tonight about staffing shortages involving paramedics and dispatchers across the province. The union says there's not enough staff and that's potentially putting lives in jeopardy. Rumina Dea has a closer look at the shortage and why BC paramedics are at particular risk of burnout. Nice throw. Almost 20 years saving lives. Paramedic Dave Leary is burnt out. I think we're reaching that breaking point right now. Paramedics across the province on life support. PTSD, stress, exhaustion, now common, says Leary. They're pressed to come in. They're not feeling well. They're sick. They, they feel guilty because they know if by not coming in, uh, it could potentially put the crew uh, ambulances out of service. Thousands dead from the opioid crisis in recent years, taking a toll on personal health and staffing levels on just one shift last week from the sea to sky corridor to the fraser valley 40 ambulances were out of service throughout the night according to dispatch we've been told there's up to 80 vacant 
full-time paramedic positions in the lower mainland. So if they were to take 80 paramedics out of the urban and rural and remote communities, uh, that leaves a significant hole. The situation is so dire, says the union, that paramedics are being flown into cities from rural areas to cover the shortage. The employer relying on overtime to fill in the gaps. Since I became Minister of Health, we've added 119 positions in that time. There's been no area of health where we've added more resources on a per capita basis than uh, to the ambulance service. BC Emergency Health Services acknowledges staffing levels are a challenge, but it disputes the union's numbers. Daddy. Leary says the math is clear. More paramedics are needed because the status quo is unsustainable. Ramina Dea, Global News. Right now, though, a warning tonight about a phone scam that's already defrauded unsuspecting victims of millions of dollars. Jordan Armstrong has more on who police say are the prime targets and how the scam works. Vancouver police are warning the public after local seniors were defrauded. Bilked out of $3.1 million in five separate cases. Here in Vancouver, this is the first I've heard of it. Um, I, I am aware of, of this happening overseas. Here's how the scam works. A fraudster pretending to be a jewelry store employee or police officer calls the senior on a landline and convinces them that their credit card has been fraudulently used for a large purchase. The victim is told to hang up and call their bank or 911. When the victim picks up the phone again, they hear a dial tone and place their call. But police say the scammer never disconnects from the line, and they play a recording of a dial tone to trick the victim. The scammer then answers the phone as a police officer or bank official and after a series of back-and-forth calls, persuades the victim to transfer large amounts of money to overseas accounts. The good news? In two of the cases, VPD investigators were able to recover just over $2.5 million of the stolen money. Police say there are steps seniors can take to ensure they don't get scammed. If you hang up your phone or you have a landline, uh, call a friend or a family member that you trust uh, and make sure you get through to them. After you hang up with them, you can be uh, rest assured that your phone will likely be disconnected. No suspects yet, but there likely are other victims who haven't come forward. Because oftentimes uh, there is a bit of embarrassment involved and sometimes people don't want to report it to us, but we're asking and encouraging anybody, please call us and let us help you. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Just two days after a special public avalanche warning was issued for all mountain areas in western Canada, there has been an avalanche at Silver Star Resort near Vernon. It happened just after noon today on a double black diamond run on Putnam Creek. Air Ambulance took one man to hospital. His condition is not known at this point. The resort has now closed its backside runs at Putnam Creek until further notice. It's believed warming temperatures played a role in the avalanche. The province is taking action after a recent measles outbreak in our province resulted in 19 confirmed cases of the disease to date. Today, an immunization catch-up program was launched. Kylie Stanton has more on how it's hoped to help BC families ensure their children are protected. 82% may sound like a decent grade, but when it comes to the current immunization rate in the province, it's considered a fail. We need to take action now to raise the overall level of immunization. It's important we strive to achieve what's sometimes called herd immunity. That means reaching a point where 95% of the population have received two doses of the measles vaccine. And to get there, the B.C. government is launching the measles immunization catch-up program. 
From April to June of this year, vaccines will be made available in schools, at community health centers, mobile community clinics, and public health units. It's our expectation as part of this campaign that every child who's not immunized in BC or under-immunized will have the opportunity to be immunized. $3 million in vaccine has been purchased to meet the demand during the program. That's the equivalent to a full year's supply. But according to the numbers provided by BC's health authorities, vaccinations are already on the rise right across the province. Comparing this February to last, the doses administered in the island health region have gone from 276 to 603. It's tripled in the interior health region, while numbers for coastal health have jumped dramatically. 2,030 to 16,600. Still, with an outbreak of 19 confirmed cases this year, it's clear more work needs to be done. Please check your immunization records for your children. If your children are under or unimmunized, you'll be informed by health authorities and school officials about the options for immunization. And this makes it easy, this makes it available, and uh, we have uh, the next three months to be able to accomplish it. But this is just the first phase. Come September, mandatory immunization reporting will come into effect in all BC public and independent schools. Details on that program are expected to be released in May. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A disturbing discovery that washed ashore off Hornby Island is heating up tensions in the West Coast's last herring fishery. Fishermen continue to fight hungry sea lions to get their catch. And now it appears to be open season with marine mammals losing the battle. Linda Aylesworth reports. Herring stocks along the entire Pacific coast have been decimated by years of overfishing. And so the current fishery underway off Hornby and Denman Islands, the only commercial herring fishery left, was controversial even before it opened last week. The fisheries minister insisting... We've got the science that says that there is a sufficient amount of stock to have a commercial fishery. Which, uh, so we will be having a commercial fishery. And those opposed to the fishery saying... It is not sustainable and all it does is deplete the ecosystem, further endangering Chinook salmon, further endangering the orcas. That's because herring are what Chinook salmon eat. And Chinook salmon, which are struggling as well, are the primary food source of endangered southern resident killer whales. But now the fishery is gaining notoriety for another reason, animal cruelty. A sea lion washed up um, on Hornby Island after the uh, gill netters and saners had passed through the area and it had a gunshot wound to its eye socket. The problem? Fishermen are the only ones going after this dwindling resource. This is the remnant uh, population of herring that is attracting all life uh, to this one small part of the Salish Sea and it's causing uh, a fair amount of conflict between humans and wildlife. The fishermen say they're plagued by hungry sea lions getting in their way, and sea lions are bearing the brunt of their frustrations. We're seeing uh, you know, boats that are charging, sleeping uh, marine mammals, sea lions. Uh, at night, we're hearing shotgun blasts and dynamite being thrown into the water. Sea lions, five or six of them, are actually pinned to the stern of the ship with a net and cinched there while the ship uh, vacuum pump was able to suck the uh, herring out of the main part of the net. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans response, DFO reminds fishers and the public that it's illegal to disturb or harm marine mammals by any means. So why aren't fisheries officers stopping the cruelty? The Department of Fisheries and Oceans announced on the 14th, almost a week ago, that they were leaving the herring grounds and allowing the, the uh, gillnet fleet to monitor themselves. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
Some return visitors to Vancouver's Stanley Park are back for the 19th year. The long-legged Pacific Great Blue Herons returned to the park earlier this month. The 40 nests at the park board offices on Beach Avenue form one of North America's largest urban heron colonies. The popular heron cam is once again being live streamed or is once again live streaming rather a bird's eye view of the action including predator encounters the herons fly up the eagles are sometimes eating eggs sometimes eating chicks and it's really uh, both at a sort of a, an emotional and and dramatic activity that we see in the colony it's exciting because there's such a there's such a part of the identity of stanley park and the west end and um and people love coming here to see them every year. It's so humbling that, that despite the, the urban growth that, that we experience in this neighborhood, they still choose to come and nest here. Since 2015, the Heron Cam has seen more than 180,000 visits. It'll be up until the end of the breeding season in August. Rescue efforts are ramping up in Mozambique where crews are flying over flooded areas to save survivors of the deadly cyclone. Rescuers airlifting people who climbed trees in a desperate attempt to escape the floodwaters. More than 200 people are confirmed dead after Cyclone Adai left a trail of destruction across Southeast Africa. Many remain trapped in remote areas where roads were ruined, buildings flattened and villages submerged. The FBI is now involved in a growing investigation into how the now-grounded Boeing 737 MAX 8 was certified to fly. That development comes as new details emerge from the terrifying final moments of the first of the twin air disasters last fall. Tonight, NBC News has confirmed the FBI has joined the investigation looking at how Boeing 737 MAX was certified for flight. The worldwide MAX fleet remains grounded following two fatal crashes in five months. And now more information about the final moments on the Indonesian flight last October. In the air for just 12 minutes, the Lion Air pilots tried desperately to pull up the nose of their 737 MAX 8. But the anti-stall system called MCAS pushed the nose down more than 20 times. Three people who heard the plane's black box recordings tell Reuters the crew didn't understand the problem and even looked through a handbook for answers. The crew discussed airspeed and altitude, but not the plane's trim meant to keep the plane level. The real problem. In the final seconds of the fatal dive, the captain remained quiet, the first officer asked God for a miracle. NBC News has not reviewed the recordings or the transcripts. It would have been a very frightening for the pilots for sure that really didn't know, you know, they would be asking each other, what is it doing now? Veteran 737 Captain Aaron Murphy says simply flipping two switches should have disabled MCAS and corrected the trim. And I'm disabling the MCAS by doing the trim cutout switches. Investigators believe a single sensor fed bad data suggesting the plane could stall. The same issue threatened the same plane a day earlier on another flight. Bloomberg reports an off-duty pilot who was in the cockpit told the crew how to disable the system. That very plane crashed the next day. I think the key for investigators both in Lion Air and in Ethiopia is to look at the depth and the breadth of training and determine what event started the response by these pilots. Investigators say the Indonesian crash is very similar to the Ethiopian crash last week. New information in the aftermath of the Christchurch mosque attacks. New Zealand police believe they stopped the suspect before he carried out a third attack. 
I'm not going to go into those details. Um, I, you know, I don't wish to traumatise others, so that will form part of the court case. But we absolutely believe, we know where he was going, and we intervened on the way. Police say they believe they know where the alleged gunman was heading, but they wouldn't divulge more details. In a manifesto released before the attacks, the suspect said he would target mosques in at least three locations. A 5.7 magnitude earthquake shook Turkey's western province of Denizli today. Store surveillance cameras captured items being knocked off shelves and fixtures shaking as the quake struck. The tremor damaged some buildings, knocking bricks and tiles to the ground in the rural area. Chunks of some buildings narrowly missed passers-by while parked vehicles rolled. There were no immediate reports of any casualties. U.S. President Donald Trump unleashed a stunning new attack on Senator John McCain today, seven months after McCain's death. Kristen Welker has more on what President Trump said that's drawing criticism and how the late senator's daughter is reacting. For the fourth day this week, President Trump again taking aim at the late Senator John McCain. I endorsed him at his request and I gave him the kind of funeral that he wanted, which as president I had to approve. I don't care about this. I didn't get thank you. That's okay. The press keeps, what do you think of McCain? What do you think? Not my kind of guy, but some people like him, and I think that's great. The stunning new attack on McCain nearly seven months after his death, part of a five-minute rant today, including about that unverified steel dossier on Mr. Trump and Russia. John McCain got it. He got it. And what did he do? Didn't call me. He turned it over to the FBI, hoping to put me in jeopardy. And uh, that's not the nicest thing to do. Today, the president's attacks sparking another rebuke from Meghan McCain. He would think it was hilarious <laughs> that our president was so jealous of him. But now, joined by a growing chorus of criticism from Republicans, Senator Johnny Isaacson slamming the president's comments as deplorable. And this from Senator McCain's close friend, Lindsey Graham. I think the president's uh, comments about Senator McCain hurt him more than they hurt the legacy of Senator McCain. I'm going to try to continue to help the president. In his mind, John McCain is the person that somehow triggered the Mueller investigation. And that is where he goes with this. And that is the core of all of his anger. All of it comes as the president also escalates his feud with the husband of his senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway. I don't know him. Uh, He's a whack job. There's no question about it. But I really don't know him. He... uh, I think he's doing a tremendous disservice to a wonderful wife. George Conway has been blasting the president for months, including again today, accusing him of having a narcissistic personality disorder. In health matters tonight, the province is doubling its financial support to nonprofit dental clinics. Thousands of low-income families, children and seniors will benefit from the one-time $3.6 million grant to the BC Dental Association. Over the next three years, the funding will allow 24 not-for-profit dental clinics to deliver a mix of free and low-cost care and upgrade their dental equipment. It means that our dental patients can access dental care when they need it, not when they can afford it. BC's nonprofit dental clinics provide treatment to low-income families for free or at reduced rates. Last year, they served more than 50,000 patients. Some tense moments in Armstrong this morning when a live grenade was discovered in a parking lot. Several roads were closed and businesses evacuated as members of the RCMP Explosives Disposal Unit 
delicately handle the situation. Global's Kimberly Davidson reports. The RCMP's explosive disposal unit arrived in Armstrong from Vancouver just before 11 a.m. They were alerted Tuesday evening after what appeared to be a hand grenade was discovered in a vacant lot on Smith Drive. The RCMP showed up, so we walked over, looked at it. It looks like someone definitely played around with it because it's wrapped in some cloth and wires uh, sticking out of it. The street was immediately cordoned off and several businesses were evacuated, remaining closed into the morning. One Stop Automotive Repair, owned by Klyla, was one of them. Most customers read on the news about it. They phoned in and rescheduled it. But sure enough, it's for us a loss. But, I mean, better safe than sorry. When the bomb squad arrived, a heavily armored officer approached the device. After several minutes, the object was put in a container and taken away. Barricades began coming down within 30 minutes of their arrival. As officers left the scene, no one from the Mounties would comment on camera. In a tweet, the RCMP confirmed the explosive disposal unit found the device was indeed an improvised grenade. It was rendered safe, but police still don't know who placed it here or why. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, Armstrong. This is it, spinning out. Let's see if he loses control. A highly unusual end to a police pursuit in California. What happens when police ask the suspect to step out of the car? That's right after the forecast. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at that forecast and another record-breaking day. Yes, today is day four. We're officially into spring, but it's feeling more summer-like with some of the numbers that we've been seeing. And we'll still salvage one more warm day for tomorrow, and I'll have more on those numbers in just a moment. 13 out there, northwesterly winds sitting at 13 kilometers per hour. Here's a look at the numbers. So we've topped over 40 temperature records that have fallen. That was yesterday as well. So over 40, Squamish being uh, getting closer to 26 degrees, areas near Hope, Pitt Meadows included within that, and Abbotsford, another warm one today, uh, 24.7 and a few other record highs. A sample into Chilliwack today at 25, areas near Victoria into the low 20s and similar for Nanaimo as well. Here's a glance at the numbers out of the airport. So yesterday we had record-breaking numbers. Today, though, still well above the average. A record of 17 degrees set back in 1986. Highs of 19 for Kamloops, areas near Soyuz today up to 17. The piece well above the average at 13. Your current temperature for Whistler sitting at 14 and areas near Port Hardy at 19 degrees. A nice break across the province, still seeing dry and clear conditions stretching into the southeastern corners. All courtesy of this ridge of high pressure, it'll start to push its way towards the east and weaken tomorrow. We are going to still see one more warm and sunny day and then on Friday an increase in cloud cover and towards the evening hours is when we're tracking the return for some rainfall and we can see that in the future cast. So tomorrow, fantastic conditions, areas away from the water still getting into the 20s, but it'll be on Friday that we'll start to track that change on the way and for the beginning of our weekend. Along the coast, up to 15 degrees, areas across the central interior. The southern interior tomorrow, still up to 19, near Soyuz and areas near Hope. Near the water for the island, we'll be sitting at 15, away closer to 18 or 19 degrees. Still looking fantastic tomorrow, first full day of spring, 20 for areas away from the water, and then it's late Friday into our Saturday that we're looking at a few isolated showers. A great photo this evening. This is the weather window sent in from Prince Rupert. So thank you so much, Joel. So looks beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. Back to that police pursuit in California now. Officers caught up with the suspect in the San Fernando Valley area last night after a highway pursuit. With police guns drawn, they asked the suspect to step out of the car. And then this happened.
So he's stepping out very gingerly there, hands up, into following commands, but then at the same time, oh, doing a little dance move there. Because why wouldn't you? The suspect started to bust a move in the middle of the street before the officers could put handcuffs on him. Uh, the dance routine only lasted about 15 seconds. Once his jig was up, the officers took him into custody. Very good. <laughs> I'm here all week. I yeah. really am. Enjoy the buffet. There's no veal, though. <laughs> oh. You just missed it. He was putting, I don't know, he was like deep into his Twitter or Instagram. No, or no, it wasn't. No, no, no. This is, I just get no, the I know. clock schedule. You were actually doing work. I, I was you. doing work. Yes, I was just making sure that the what work did, I did what earlier were you up? was correct. I just wanted to make sure the Canucks are on a seven-game homestand. Two, four, six. Yes, seven games. It starts tonight against Ottawa. And if they win this game, they'll only be four points out of a playoff spot. Close, but there are still a lot of teams between them and the playoff promised land. So the Canucks making the playoffs is still very much a long shot. What is not a long shot, in fact, it should be an absolute lock, is Elias Pettersson winning the NHL's Rookie of the Year award. In fact, they should give him the Calder Trophy right now. He's already put together the best freshman season we've ever seen in Vancouver, even better than Pavel Bure and Ivan Halinka's first years. Really cool feeling. Uh, like, he was a pretty good player, and uh, of course, to be able to beat it is uh, something we're proud of, but uh, I couldn't have done it. Are the guys in here or the management? No, we just said move over, Pavel. He's <laughs> the new man in town, so we we're pretty pumped for PD. It's a pretty big accomplishment. Um, I think Best might be a little bit jealous, but uh, no, uh, just kidding. But uh, PD's been good all year. Uh, he deserves it, and I'm really happy for him. Now, the Canucks' belief that they're still in the playoff hunt keeps him from playing someone like new defenseman Josh Tevez, who was recently signed by the Canucks out of college. He's been practicing with them, but that's about it. When we do see him, though, it will be kind of a homecoming because he has played in BC before in Fernie and Merritt. And while he doesn't have the Quinn Hughes hype, he was also a very good college defenseman. The road to the NHL for Josh Tevis was a lot of mind over matter. He was never drafted, but Tevis parlayed one season in Merritt in the BCHL into a full-ride scholarship at Princeton. It was there while studying mechanical engineering where Tevis' game developed to a pro level and now at age 24 has signed with the Canucks. I think as a smaller D-man, I, uh, I kind of got passed over uh, growing up, so um, definitely uh, not the most... Uh, routine path, but I think that just helped uh, build my work ethic and kind of determination that it doesn't matter if I'm cut from a team or uh, looked over or uh, undervalued or anything like that. I can kind of prove my worth uh, in any situation. Tevis is listed at 6 feet 180 pounds, smaller by today's NHL standards, but not unlike Troy Stetcher, Tevis skating and hockey IQ make up for any size disadvantage. Had a good college career, good puck-moving guy, strong guy, uh, just kind of plays today's style of game in the NHL. Uh, I don't, you know, obviously I don't know him. Our scouts like him a lot, and uh, I'm anxious to see him. Tevis has yet to play a game, but you would think the Canucks would like to get him in a couple before the end of the season. He is still technically in school, completing his degree at Princeton in mechanical engineering, which pretty much makes him the smartest guy on his new team, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know about that. There's some real smart minds here, um, but 
I guess I can help add to the IQ. For a guy who wasn't even thinking pro hockey until 18 months ago, it's been a whirlwind. The Canucks think he can be a very effective player for them. Tevis is just trying to wrap his head around all of this. I haven't worried too far into the future and kind of taken it day by day and just keep working hard. So um, I don't know, even know if it feels real yet, but uh, I guess uh, I just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Lightning just keeps striking. Best team in the NHL, and there's the best score, Nikita Kucherov. Uh, but here's a giveaway and a goal by Lars Eller as the champs take a 1-0 lead against Tampa at home. Uh, Kucherov, here we go. There's a goal. Puts it in off a stick of the Caps. That made it 1-1 in the second. Look at the passing here by the uh, Lightning. This is why they're the best team in the NHL, because they throw the puck around like it's Cirque du Soleil. And Kucherov finishes it off again, and they are leading in the third period, 4-3. To Tokyo we go, where the Mariners and the Athletics opened up the regular season, and it's kind of a homecoming and a goodbye for Ichiro as well. Okay, Domingo Santana, one of the new Seattle Mariners, hits a grand slam. And then Tim Beckham. And also a new Mariner. Wow. Tim Beckham can yep. Sayonara. 9-7. Seattle beats Oakland. Women's World Curling. Canada had a rough day yesterday, but they rallied today to uh, move their record to 4-4 four and four with a win over China. They picked up three in the ninth on that shot right there. 7-6 win. And there you go. Here's a look at your snow report for today. Whistler Blackhole with a base of 239. 300 for both Grouse and Cypress and Sasquatch at 242. Fernie with a base of 210. Manning Park 145 and Whitewater 221. Big White with a base of 233. 200 for Silver Star and Sun Peaks 172. Kicking Horse with a base of 178. 212 for Mount Washington and Powder King 284. I'm trying to come up with puns. They're not coming to me right now. Oh, but we'll see what happens after the story. Metro Vancouver has no shortage of mansions. but Ooh, electrifying. Yes, exactly. Okay, there you go. I know. But few have an electrifying history like this one that's about to hit the auction block. (laughs) Almost everything about it is one of a kind. And as Ted Field reports, it might take a powerful person to live in the old Fraser Valley substation. On a sunny day, it's an idyllic location. It almost looks like a movie set. It's an old Abbotsford powerhouse that's been given an amazing rebirth. You can definitely see that this was not your regular home. Back at the turn of the 20th century, the BC Electric Company, now known as BC Hydro, built a train system through the Fraser Valley. It also constructed substations to power those trains. In the 50s, cars killed the interurban trains. They were shut down, and so were the powerhouses. For a kid like me, the Sumas substation looked like a haunted house until someone decided to make it a mansion. So these bricks were all exposed, and then these bricks over here were found lying around the house, and they were here to build the fireplace. So this is the original door and the original weight on it. Locals are amazed that a building that used to house transformers has been transformed. If anybody's got the chance to go through it, I think they should go through it because the people that done it have done quite a job on that. 
The powerhouse mansion has been on the market for years, asking price over $3 million. It hasn't sold, so it's going to an online auction starting this Friday. We felt that putting it up for auction would give us a wider range of people to bring it to. So, you know, the attention of media and the attention of worldwide that we get with concierge auctions has really helped um, bring this to light and bring more people here that would have maybe not come. Locals say back when it was abandoned, the powerhouse attracted hippies, squatters, and probably could have been picked up for about three grand. Now the owner hopes it will grab the attention of someone who wants a fully furnished mansion with a backstory and maybe ghosts that will entertain the guests. Ted Field, Global News. But do you get like a discount on your hydro bill? <laughs> that would be good. Well, now that it's been, now that we've had it, I bet there'll be quite a buzz about that place. Ah, uh, uh, where's the? Did it? Oh, Justin, it's gone. Oh, okay, now. It's sorry. Gone. I'm so actually over. sorry I said it. <laughs> it's over. I got no gratification out of it. All right, Yvonne's plugged into the weather. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sorry. Enjoy the sunshine and warm temperatures tomorrow. I feel wired. <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah. Good night, folks. We're here all week. <laughs>